0: Welcome to Microdose Psychedelic Insights, powered by The Conscious Fund. This is the Sci-Fi Series, discovering the cutting-edge science and research in psychedelic medicine. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast, where I talk to industry leaders, clinicians, and experts uh, to unravel the mystery that is psychedelic science. Today, I'm here with Lucia Huang. I'm really excited to talk to her. She's the co-founder and CEO of OzMine. Uh, thanks for joining us, Lucia.
1: Thanks, Gaurav. Thanks for having me. My
0: pleasure. Uh, You know, we've had a chance to talk a a little bit, but I think it'd be great if you could, for our audience, just uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what you do.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I'll give you the the quick intro on OzMind and a bit of my background and then go a bit deeper into OzMind. But um, we are a mental health, um, psychedelic medicine startup based in the Bay Area. Um, And our goal really is to lay the infrastructure and groundwork for novel mental health treatments like okay. psychedelic medicine. Um, so we have software that we um, provide to you know, providers and therapists and doctors in the fields that helps them better care for patients who are seeking out psychedelic medicines um, and at the same time aggregates insights to help with research purposes. So I'll get back get a bit back to that later, um, yeah. but I'm, yeah, I'm uh, very, very happy to, to be here today. Um, In terms of my own background, as Gora mentioned, I'm co-founder and CEO of the company, um, and I've always been in the healthcare space my whole life, uh, everything from studying chemistry uh, during undergrad at Yale, all the way to uh, a number of years of industry experience in healthcare. So um, I started out on the uh, the finance side and invested in a number of healthcare technology companies, and then most recently was um, running business operations at a neuroscience biotech startup. Uh, and that's where I, yeah, that's where I really fell in love with the whole field and just saw that there's so much innovation that's just really on the cusp. And in the same way that, you know, oncology was transformed in the last few decades by new types of medicine, by new modalities and sequencing, things like that, neuroscience is really undergoing the same revolution. Um, and so I, when I was at business school a couple of years ago at Stanford, I met my co-founder, who is at the med school at the time. And we both bonded over our excitement for where neuropsychiatry is going and also our shared mental health journeys. Um, everything from, from being raised in households where it's highly stigmatized to um, having yeah. friends and family who have been severely affected by it um, and are just really excited to be here to really build build out the infrastructure to help this field succeed.
0: Uh, it's really fantastic. You know, it's interesting yeah. to see all the different moving parts that are a part of the psychedelic renaissance, you know, and um, obviously the drugs that need to be made, there's a therapy and the modalities, mm-hmm. what that looks like. Uh, and then, of course, digital therapeutics and uh, the infrastructure as far as software goes. And I think that's really, really exciting. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got into uh, And into all this and then after that maybe talk a little bit about Ozmine and what you guys are you know up to right now.
1: Yeah for sure yeah so um, as mentioned you know I was working at a neuroscience biotech start before and the company was using AI for target discovery so finding new genetic targets to better create like smarter um, therapeutics that would help with neurodegenerative diseases and really made me realize that there's just, right, so much innovation, so much um, newness that's actually going on in psychiatry in a field that was like, really dead for a couple of decades. Um, and so I began to follow the psychedelic medicine movement and um, had my own experiences with some of the medicines and just realized that like, wow, like this could really transform the entire way that mental health works rather than a patient having to take a pill every day. And that pill oftentimes doesn't even work well for them or providers not knowing what works best for different people and the individual, like we can actually come at it with a much smarter, much more data-driven approach of having therapies that are more curative in nature uh, and, and not just the pill that you take every day and actually being able to target um, treatments based on an individual's background or medical history or demographics. So that's kind of what got me interested. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's really exciting because for the same thing, I think that really intrigued me is the evidence-based approach that we're finally taking. You know, it's uh, the efficacy of SSRIs and things of that nature are just so poor. You know, and what's so fascinating about psychedelic medicine? I remember that Hopkins study that just came out saying that psilocybin was four times more effective. What it does, it, you know, in the amygdala of the brain, like SSRIs usually reduce activity there. So they kind of shield you from right. the negative emotions and the stuff. Right,
1: the right. anhedonia, right. Exactly, yeah. you know,
0: and like, so then you'd have to keep taking that every day, you know, um, yeah. because it's just a, it's just a band-aid. Um, it, they found with the salazidone, it did the opposite, increased activity in that part of the brain. And right. And it, it allowed patients to face those fears and then overcome them. And, uh, and so you're right it is curative in nature and it's very exciting and I, you know, I look forward to drug policy uh, aligning finally with science instead of being diametrically opposed to it uh, so yeah that, that's all completely that. tell me a little bit more about Osmine and uh, what you guys are up to right now
1: yeah yeah no I, I completely agree with you I think like there's, this is a paradigm shift that's underway and it's really an all hands on deck movement you know it's not just the drug companies like you talked about it's policy makers it's Tech people it's everyone like really needs to get behind the effort and so for us like we kind of see ourselves as doing the, the not as sexy work of building mm-hmm. that ground layer infrastructure to allow like the better development of therapies and the delivery of therapies too and I think those are two really important pieces and not everyone is focused on both so in terms of the development you know there are so many new therapies that are currently in the works and there really is just a lack of data of how these therapies work in the real world. So for example, you know we have um, a ton of practices that we work with now as part of our electronic health record software. Right. Um, and we can aggregate information on how the therapies are working for different patients and be able to do things like help a biotech company better design a clinical trial. Like, How can we subtype a patient population and predict the best response? so that this drug has the best chance of getting to market and to helping as many people as, as possible. So I think on the development side, there's a lot of really interesting things that can be done with data. And then on the delivery side, in terms of the practitioners who are doing the hard work of actually treating patients, there's no software right now also that that helps with that at all. And I think right. legacy software is meant for people who are trying to bill insurance for as much money as possible or are meant for like clunky you know, hospital systems and nothing is nimble and suitable for the workflow now of practitioners who are in the psychedelic medicine field. So our electronic health, word, uh, health record software is really meant to serve that. And we launched it last year, Are serving about 160 practices around the country now. Um, so the, the largest provider of software in this space by far, um, and really just helping to, to reduce those administrative burdens. I think a lot of these practitioners are going to have to face the American medical system as reality. And uh, rather than running away from it or being scared of it, we want to make that easier for them. So, dealing with how, how to see patients and manage them better, um, but also working with insurance companies and um, dealing with the FDA, like REMS protocols, those are all things that we're thinking about to help smooth out the delivery of these therapies.
0: Wow, that's amazing and so important, you know, because uh, there's just no way we can effectively go about this uh, without having a very advanced and complex and sophisticated system to manage the data, you know. Uh, And one of the things I think we talked about in a previous conversation is that I mentioned Epic, you know, is is what they're using uh, right now. And so how does your uh, software and your program compare to that? Because, you know, that's kind of the industry standard right now.
1: Yeah. Oh man, it's pretty different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Epic is the most, uh, it's the largest electronic health record. It's typically used in hospital settings to your point. So if you've ever gone to a hospital or like a big system like Kaiser or something, then your doctor is probably using Epic and they're probably just staring at their computer and not actually looking at you when they're treating you and seeing you on um, So I think that's the number one thing is that we're trying to make a system that's much more nimble and user-friendly and doesn't just suck away time from the provider and destroy the provider-client relationship. We actually want something that will supplement and and bolster that. So one really unique part of our software is that there's an integrated patient engagement app as well. So it's not just in the provider side, but patients get a mobile app that they use throughout their whole care journey. And that allows them to journal and to um, reflect on their psychedelic treatments and experiences. It allows them to report outcomes back to their provider so providers can track how they're doing and track the efficacy of their treatments uh, and it allows them to, to do administrative things too, like helping to get some level of insurance reimbursement for their therapies. Uh,
0: yeah, that's fantastic. And I like how you talked about how this will connect the patient and the doctor more than having the doctor just stare at a screen, you know, um, because yeah. really... That relationship is really important, you know. And anything we can do to uh, facilitate uh, a better connection, there I think is really is really important and imperative. So that's that's great. Yeah, uh, I'd love to know what you're most excited about moving forward, you know, in, the, in this industry right now.
1: Oh my gosh, so many things. <laughs> um, you know, I think what we are really excited about is the convergence of psychedelic medicine, which I think a lot of people still feel is somewhat fringe um, with like mainstream psychiatry. And I think we're seeing more and more that the fields are colliding and that psychedelics are becoming mainstream and part of clinical care delivery. I think a lot of traditional healthcare, like say, you know, the APA, like psychiatry association, like don't, don't officially endorse ketamine, for example. And there's a lot of politics that goes in that, but the more evidence that we can show, the more data that we can collect, the more we can prove and wash away the stigmatization. So I'm really excited for that to start to unravel. And I think with MAPS um, completing its phase three trial soon, um, obviously Compass and a lot of other companies focus on psilocybin, like these are only just begin, going to become part of like sort of a, a practitioner's clinical arsenal. and. I'm really excited to see that just be the norm rather than something that's kind of like weird or out there.
0: It's really cool. So the data that you're going to be collecting and the way you're going to be using it um, goes well beyond uh, just facilitating a good relationship between doctor and patient or understanding uh, you know, pathologies better. Uh, we're talking about you know, reducing stigma and even changing public policy. Uh, so that's, yeah. really, that's a pretty meaningful and powerful stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not the easiest. Like, for example, actually, just earlier this week, we announced the launch of a task force that we're on to help with um, insurance coverage of ketamine. So folks might know ketamine is an FDA approved anesthetic. So it's been around for many decades used in the operating room. But um, just a couple decades ago, people started to realize that it's effective for mental health and pain conditions as well. So it's been used off label um, and like has shown to be like highly effective in patients who have, especially those who have failed multiple conventional therapies. Uh, and so you're seeing a lot of practices pop up that are, are really helping patients that have not found help before at all but unfortunately, insurance companies don't cover it because it's considered experimental use. It wasn't officially right. FDA approved for depression or for chronic pain or anything like that, and so it's just extremely expensive. Like just to get one infusion or one ketamine-assisted psychotherapy session yeah. costs five hundred dollars or more up upwards of just you know an hour of time. So it's yeah. it's extremely burdensome on the patient, and um, we're part of this effort to help with the real world analysis of ketamine clinics that we work with to help anonymize and aggregate data and to actually prove to Medicare that this is something worth covering because no pharma company now is going to touch ketamine, uh, racine ketamine. They're not going to run a clinical trial on it because there's no IP around it. But we're, we're hoping that like, with the data that we can collect, we can show Medicare that this is something that desperately needs to be covered to help patients and to make things more affordable.
0: Um, that leads me to a couple of questions or a, a comment question. I, I totally agree about the ketamine thing. I think it's been the Trojan horse for psychedelic medicine. Because yeah. We've been in clinical practice for 50 years or more. Right. I mean, we, we know it's safe. We've been using it uh, in practice. And so and now all of a sudden, hey, it has these psychedelic properties, you know, and it helps patients in this sort of uh, setting where we can – imagine or visualize adapting that similar setting to other psychedelic substances. Wow. Well.
1: Right. So, uh, right.
0: Ketamine has definitely played a fascinating role in that regard. And um, I guess the question I have for you then is what about Spravato? Uh, are insurance companies covering that? Oh
1: man. Yeah. That's yeah. a really great question. <laughs> that's a thorny one. Yeah. So for those who don't know, Spravato is, uh, um, it's S-ketamine. So it's the l uh yeah, an antimer of ketamine, or like part of racemic ketamine. And right. uh, Johnson & Johnson was get, able to get novel IP around that because it's considered a different molecule. So it was approved two years ago as actually the first new class of antidepressant in, in many decades, um, which is exciting. But the controversy is, is that many people don't think it's as, as effective as racemic ketamine, but because it's considered a new molecule, then insurance companies will actually cover it. So they are covering it. Um, I think it's been a bit slower of a rollout than Johnson and Johnson had hoped, um, but they are covering it. I think, you know, it, it is tough because you have racemic ketamine as such a powerful alternative. Um, and because of our nuances of the healthcare system, it, it, it's harder to get insurance coverage. But I still think that Spravato being out there is a good thing because it is paving the way for future psychedelic therapies. And it's showing like the mainstream that it's okay that this drug has dissociative effects. It's not scary. It's a good thing. It's actually like potentially like has healing powers given the neuroplasticity. So I think in terms of just breaking down the barriers, it's still good that it's as out there and it's getting covered by insurance. And I can only hope that the same thing happens with racemic ketamine and future psychedelic therapies as well. Absolutely. Especially
0: uh, ketamine infusions, because as effective as Frivato may be um, for, you know, acute suicidality and uh, you know patients with severe depression um, right bioavailability is a tricky thing with ketamine. and you right. can't be uh, 45 minute to an hour long infusion in an office it's iv where you just get the full you know dose so you don't have to worry about uh, how much gets up your nostril or the lozenges or whatever you know there's a lot of different ways and we find that we're struggling with that and so it's tough it's tough to it's tough to be like to understand that, well, this medicine may work for a lot of people, but we have all these hoops to jump through, you know, um, as far as regulation and insurance being one of the biggest, you know, uh, yeah. can really help people get access. And so do you, I, I talked a little bit about this, but it seems that, you know, the way that you're gathering data and then the robust method in which you're doing it uh, is really going to help facilitate that process and hopefully make it go faster
1: yeah i think so i think you know insurance companies really care about outcomes and um we have to show them on a large scale that these things really these things really work better than ssris Uh, and so someone's got to be out there to be collecting that data so i think we're in a good place to do so because we work with the largest number of psychedelic practices in the country
0: yeah wow that's really fascinating um, okay, maybe we should have asked this before uh, as to what you were excited about in the future but I'm curious uh, for you know, how long you've been in the field uh, how have you seen things change you know, and uh, what's been some of the biggest changes that you've seen um, both in your field as far as digital therapeutics but also just in the world and society in general
1: oh man yeah I think it's really interesting um, you know what the whole world has gone through with COVID and how that's changed our healthcare system quite a bit. Um, and I, I think this kind of really makes me think about like, how is it that we make a lasting impact? Because I think there've been two trends that have jumped out at me over the last say half year, a year or so. I think one is, I think and I think they both kind of revolve around hype. I think there've been a lot of new businesses that have popped up in healthcare that have really taken people by storm, but I question how lasting and durable they are. So for example, Companies providing like telemedicine, talk therapy, like really important. I think, you know, more the more mental health companies, the better these days. But like, what's going to happen after COVID when people probably want to go back to see their therapists in person? And does it make sense for these companies to be raising hundreds of millions of dollars to address uh, a patient population that again, it's important, but it's kind of really just the tip of the iceberg? So I think that's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot. And as it relates to psychedelics, I think we kind of see a similar trend of. There's been a lot more interest in the past year or so from uh, traditional Silicon Valley and the mainstream. Um, Like you know, Peter Thiel is really interested now in the field, and Compass had a really successful IPO. And again, all that is great. I think this is really important, but I think we also have to think deeply about like what is going to be make a lasting impact in this field, and that can survive beyond just an initial wave of interest.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we're doing a lot of things. Well, we are doing a lot of things differently this time than we did in the sixties and the seventies when we tried to make this happen. And Sandoz was just giving away acid for free to everybody, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, I think the clinical and uh, yeah, the clinical approach that we're taking uh, is really important. I personally do believe there is room for psycho spiritual growth and for people that don't have mental. Uh, necessarily have mental health challenges to be able to use these medicines to uh, expand or grow their consciousness or spirituality, whatever. But but I think for right now, it's really important that we're taking the approach we are and that we are focusing on the medicalization of these drugs. You know, and mm-hmm. the thing, uh, you know I write a column every month for microdose called Psychedelics Versus Cannabis. Oh, wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting to draw those. Yeah. Of, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think it was a combination of things. The entourage effect of cannabis made it very difficult to yes. isolate one compound, like THC alone, um, like uh, Marinol wasn't that effective. And I guess CBD was the only one. Now we finally have like EpidLX, you know. Um, but otherwise, we don't have a good understanding of the endocannabinoid system. It's still not taught in medical school, really. And so, what are we going to do with it? You know? Versus, uh, we do have a very good understanding of the serotonin system, and mm-hmm. these drugs. Even though, for example, mushrooms have so many alkaloids, uh, you can take the psilocybin out, make some synthetic psilocybin, and still get amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, from a nerdy pharmacological standpoint, I think that's really interesting as well. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's uh, that's really cool. Uh, we're kind of drawing to towards the end here, and, and I wanted to ask you. You know, I give all my uh, all everyone in my audience the last word. Uh, if you have a message, if you have a comment, or something you wanted to share with uh, everybody, I'd love for you to do that. But the mic's Ooh, uh,
1: yeah, let me think on it for a couple of seconds. Sure. Um, yeah, I think kind of a, a, along the previous point of, of sort of building lasting impact. Um, you know we're trying our best to do that and, and time will tell if if we are able to I think from a personal level like definitely encourage everyone to really think about about lasting impacts and uh, I've talked to so many people who are in more conventional industries and who are really passionate about psychedelic medicine and are just about there to take that leap of faith and to dive head in and I would just encourage people to, to totally do that I think like this is a trend and a, a way that's not going away with psychedelic medicine converging with mainstream mental health and psychiatry. And we really need all the brightest minds out there to help. Um, And I think like thinking about the sort of underlying infrastructure of how to do that is important, obviously bias because we are trying to do that. But how can we make sure that we can enable everyone else in psychedelics to really do their best work? How can we provide the data? How can we help practitioners? How can we help patients access these therapies like these are just really tough burning questions and uh, I would challenge everyone to kind of think more holistically and multi-dimensionally about how best to make an impact
0: wow that's uh that was a really great message Somebody <laughs> came up with that on the spot uh, that's <laughs> an incredible you inspired story. me Gora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a two-way street let's see for sure uh hey if people want to learn more about you want to learn
1: more about OzMind, yeah. where can they go, how can they do that? Yeah, great. Yep, yeah, our website is ozmind.org, um, o-s-m-i-n-d dot o-r-g. Um, we are a public benefit corporation, hence the dot org, and hence a lot of our focus on um, social impact and public access to these therapies, so that's something that I'm always happy to talk about on a one-on-one basis. I think one of the best decisions we ever made was uh, purposely allowing ourselves to consider public benefit as part of our mission um, but yes osmine.org is where to find us and you can always email me to um, lucia at osmine.org
0: fantastic well thank you so much Lucia for joining me i'm such i'm so glad that you know we finally got to connect and, and have this great conversation uh, i'm that sure is. it'll be our last and i you know i look forward to having you on the show again uh just you know, observing the success that you're having in OzMind, it's really uh, exciting, you know, and uh, we're all just really hopeful and excited that, you know, people like you are doing what you're doing so we can uh, take healthcare and um, just improve ourselves, you know, and take it all to the next level. And that's what you're doing. I think that's really exciting.
1: Thanks, Gaurav. I appreciate that. Thank you for giving so many of us a voice.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Uh, well, have a great time, Lucia. And uh, thank you so much, everybody. This is another episode of the Sci-Fi Podcast, where we talk to leading industry clinicians, experts, and leaders uh, to unravel the mystery that is psychedelic science. I was joined today by Lucia Hoang, uh, co- the co-founder and CEO of Ozmine. You can find the show on Spotify, iTunes, and YouTube. Please leave a review. That would be fantastic. And we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Sci-Fi series. Brought to you by Microdose and The Conscious Fund.
1: Visit our website at www.microdose.buzz.